0: listening to the Ivy Entrepreneurship Podcast from the Pierre L. Morissette Institute for Entrepreneurship at the Ivy Business School. My name is Eric Morris, and I will be your host for this episode. Matt Phillips is the founder and CEO of Phillips Brewing and Malting Company in Victoria, British Columbia. After years of working for other brewers, Matt decided to start up his own brand just as craft brewers across the industry were shutting shop in the early 2000s. Almost two decades later, Phillips is not only still standing, but thriving. Today, I'm going to talk with Matt Largely about searching for opportunity, though we'll cover some other ground. Now here's Matt Phillips and the story of BC's biggest little brewery.
1: I started uh, my brewery eighteen years ago. I'd worked for a few breweries at that time, and uh, I guess I've been working for breweries for about four or five years at that point. And uh, really, you know, kind of saw an opportunity early on that you know that this industry was going to grow. And had some experiences working for others that realized that to kind of uh, take the direction I wanted to go in my brewery autonomy was going to be important so uh, you know in the late 90s a lot of breweries were closing Uh, there's a a boom in craft breweries through the uh, through the early 90s and mid 90s and a lot of them didn't make it and so there was a lot of gear floating around turn of the century that that was you know going for a pretty significant discount and uh, with this idea that I really wanted to be able to to start my own brewery and not have to answer to anyone, I really saw the opportunity there. That I, if I was going to start, it was now because it was starting to get snapped up. The availability of equipment wasn't quite there like it was a year or two before that. And so I thought, if I'm going to do this, this is the right time. I got to jump, and uh, and so I did. I, uh, I put a business plan together. I ran around all the banks, and uh, dropped them off and. Typically got a pretty quick no, uh, so so I just grabbed uh, credit card applications on the way out and sent them all in, and they all got approved for various amounts from you know two to ten thousand dollars, and Gosh. and I kind of pooled them all up and had a high interest start to uh to my business but uh that's kind of how it got going so
0: i have a friend that says that's vc funded yeah <laughs> it's yeah. about it's the v- same v- visa, <laughs> card. Yeah, visa card visa yeah. card all the way uh you know cool so when you were thinking about it uh, the environment uh, you were looking at obviously in terms of there was equipment ready had you had entrepreneurial experience before that or always been working within other breweries and yeah yeah exactly so no
1: I, i'd um Worked for a few breweries, uh, ran one, but actually ran two, two okay. I guess. But um, but no, I'd never uh, never had any okay. entrepreneurial experience. And
0: so you mentioned that uh, you wanted to kind of do it your own way. What what was the gap that you saw in the market that that, that you didn't feel was really being hit? Yeah, well, I, I guess
1: um, maybe slightly two different things. So uh, what really inspired me to want to do it my way was my second job I was given the task of taking a really well-made lager and and watering it down into um, <laughs> a particularly unsatisfying light lager. Um and uh, you know wasn't wasn't keen about it um, voiced my opinion but was kind of uh, pushed in that direction so you know that that was kind of the reality is I realized that you know if we wanted to, if I wanted to make beers I was proud of, that was gonna be challenged unless I had a little more control than that. Okay. But the opportunity in the market was one where every brewery is pretty much making the same thing. Not that it was a big market, but there was a niche market for interesting one-off kind of beers. And so that's what I I did. I kind of went down the road of making just big format bottles, kind of single-sale units of uh, you know, IPAs and espresso stouts and those kinds of things that really um you know it didn't require there was no bl- brand loyalty to overcome it was it was the kind of consumer that was interested in that was going to be interested in that and the, you know it was there were so few on the market i knew right. that i would have a pretty good chance of of
0: being able to yeah. kind of get initial sales pretty quickly. Okay, you you were relatively early on the craft beer, not not right at the beginning, yeah. but kind of as it started to boom. You you were there pretty early on, is that right?
1: Well, yeah. You know, I kind of think of it as there kind of two waves. So there was there was a in BC at least there was a, a group that started in the mid 80s and kind of mid 80s through mid 90s or there were, uh, you know, a fair number of breweries that started, number closed as well, and then the next real wave kind of started in around two thousand yeah. and seven, two thousand and eight, and and so I was two thousand and one, so I was right in the the trough between the between two, the, I guess. Two. Yeah.
0: Okay, interesting. Uh, I heard you talk about the quality of the beer and uh, you know with the lager being watered down, and I, I love your beer, so the quality is there. It's funny though because when I think of your brand, I I probably think of the art, the marketing, the connection to the customer in that messaging kind of way, Mm -hmm. as much as I think about the beer itself. Uh, Was that an obviously conscious uh, decision on your part to be different in how you reach out to customers?
1: It was an evolutionary process. You know, when I began, it was, uh, in fact, one of these days I'll show you my original labels and you'll know (laughs) there's there's graphic evidence for the fact that it it didn't begin this way. But we began, or I began, as a one-man show and very product-centered. It was, these are the kind of beers that I know are going to resonate with customers. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was very fortunate early on to uh, choose a graphic artist that... um, it's uh, just an amazing, he's, yeah. he's just amazing. He, he, his cultural understanding is phenomenal. His uh, ability to work in almost any style is phenomenal. And, and he's the coolest guy I know. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I've been really fortunate to to have him as part of the creative team. Yeah. And and to be honest, we've hired creative people along the way uh, with that that in mind. So it, it's really kind of part of the DNA of the company. And it, but it didn't start that way. It kind of evolved that way. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and uh, quite early on, we started making beers that weren't just designed to be, you know, we, we need to tell people what's in the bottle. You <laughs> know, once we got past that, hey, this is the very basic level of communication we need to give customers and we've you know, we got a little more bandwidth, let's have some fun with it. Right. That's when the real character of the brand began.
0: Oh, it's interesting. And uh, I don't think there's another beer out there that I actually read the, the whole label because yeah. there's there's something, you know, all the way around the can that's that's interesting. You obviously had a foundation before that in terms of some success and local success. Do you think that's what really took you to that next level? Was it that cuz it's a differentiated, you know, product uh, that way for sure.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's a good question. I, I you know, like anything, uh, we, we spend a lot of time navel gazing, trying to figure out what it is that worked about brands right, that worked right. and what it is about brands that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. And the inevitable reality is, we, we come up with a million reasons for both, and quite often there's overlap. You know, the, the, <laughs> you can't really tease them out. But you know, I, I think we, being a Victoria-based brewery, um, Victoria had a really strong craft following mm-hmm. and was really open to those kind of. Novel beers mm-hmm. and and so that kind of leaked out and I think I think partly because of the kind of beers we were making and yeah. and the quality that we were making them in we were able to kind of grab followings in areas that were more distant to the brewery okay. early on but yeah you know you can if you have a great label people will will try it once, luck. right? And yeah, if it's good, sure. they'll they'll try it twice. Yeah. And cool comment about the copy. Yeah, I mean every little piece, every detail matters, right? So mm-hmm. we actually have a separate group that writes our copy to the group that does the graphics, to the group that does the name So we oh, wow. we tease them apart because you know, it's it's uh, if you if you break them down into little bits, you can put a lot of focus on each individual bit whereas if it's one big project sometimes the details don't have mm-hmm. as much resonance so mm-hmm. yeah I think they're important I think all of those things are important um, yeah. we put that much care into making the beer we got to put that much love yeah. and, and and effort into making the labor the label sorry count. <laughs>
0: well, as you know yeah. my uh, my wife loves your beer as well but very specifically uh, you know a couple of the mm-hmm. beers and uh, she's not a beer drinker so I think you've uh, somehow done something magical as far as I can tell you're one of the biggest if not the biggest regional kind of brewer now in Canada Is is that, uh, is that something you aspired to or did it just happen? You know, when you, th- you yeah. think back to that original business plan, yeah, yeah, yeah. what was the plan?
1: Oh, the, the original business plan was very modest, um, <laughs> which is part of what uh, the banks all kind of looked at. They they thought, you know, you cannot start a brewery this, this small. No one, like it just... it it's not the model. It's not the paradigm of what a brewery okay. w- looked like to them. Sure. So, uh, no, it was really modest. Um, I think we topped out, I think it was a five-year plan and we topped out at five people, I think. And it was really specialized in these unique one-off beers and, and a wider geographic yeah. distribution. Um, and, uh, I guess I started as a one person game and, um, the first two years were uh, incredible in terms of the work requirements. So I would typically be working, uh, you know, I was building my own machinery at the same time, um, oh, wow. welding tanks, uh, fabricating equipment. Um, I used to Man of many talents. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you haven't seen these tanks uh, <laughs> but i would i would build two tanks and uh, sell one and 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 the labor would okay. pay for the material on the other so that's how yeah. i was able to build up a tank farm so i'd be yeah, you know typically i'd i'd get up in the morning and i'd i'd do my bottling run and then i'd uh, go out and i'd do sales and deliveries and then i'd come home and i'd i brew at night and i'd sleep for a couple hours and get up and do it again and after a few years i was uh, two years i was pretty done i was pretty burnt mm. out and uh, very early on I started the brewery, and there was a yeah, it was a very tight timeline. I think I signed a lease in June, and I needed to have sales in August to make sure that I would get paid in September from the liquor branch, which is a minor miracle that I was able to pull a license off and all. Of, but you know, it was the yeah. uh, ignorance sometimes pays off, <laughs> and uh, so so in any case, I pulled it off. And I called up my traditional bottle supplier for the people that I've been working for, uh, for other breweries I've been working for, and I said, "I, I need some, uh, need a few pallets." And they said. Oh, well, we're out. I said, what do you mean we're out? Well, the whole industry's out. They haven't, because they only run this bottle every three months, and they're out, and the next scheduled run is in October, so we should have them in November. How's that? Great. And I said, ah, well, I need them next week, or yeah. I'm bankrupt, yeah. so that doesn't work. I'm not going to make rent next month. So, so anyway, I was able to uh, sweet talk somebody in the glass plant down in Portland into selling me a couple off of the dock. And so I drove down on a five-ton truck and I got this huge dock, 40, 50, uh, uh, 18 wheelers lined up. And, uh, my, my truck was six inches too short for the dock. And I went and I talked to the guy and he said, uh, yeah, well, we'll, We'll figure it out. We'll sort you out. But you got to know, you are the last guy I care about today. So just make yourself at home. We'll get you loaded by the time we close <laughs> the night at 5. But it's not going to be till then. And I said, know, this is uh, just before 9-11, wow. security slack. I said, do you mind if I walk around in this huge warehouse? And, and I, I did. I went for a hike. And it felt like a hike. It was a long walk. And in the very back corner were these old stubby bottles. And oh, yeah. I said, what's the story with these? Can I buy those? And they said, no, oh, no, no, those are those are uh, spoken for or whatever. We're, we're holding them. You can't use them. So, okay, well, whatever. And, uh, you know, try it again with some bottle brokers and no one could get a hold of them. So I kind of stopped thinking, put it in the back right. of my head, stopped thinking right. about it. Anyway, fast forward two years later, I, you know, I was up 20% for the previous year. I was paying my bills, but I wasn't getting ahead. It was, and I was working. I wasn't yet at a point where I could hire anybody. It was yeah. just punishing work. And I kind of hit that break point. And, okay. you know, I think a lot of people hit that break point. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, it actually, for me, it came down to a box of shrink wrap. So <laughs> I'd go through, I'd build a pallet and I'd have to shrink wrap it. And, and then I'd drive it over to Vancouver and, and deliver it. And uh, typically a box of shrink wrap costs about 40 bucks. It lasts me maybe three, four months. Yep. Anyway, I got to the end of the box, and I thought, oh, "Do I am I going to buy another box of this? this? Is another three or four months?" And I, wow. I, I kind of had that point. Went, no, you know what? This is this is the point. It's a. not it does right? You recognized matter, it. I it, recognize okay. it. This is this is killing me. I'm not going wow. any further. And I kind of made the decision. and I, I'm done. And I, uh, I called up my dad and I said, "Hey." I'm packing it in Mm. and he was very supportive. Um, but I slept on it and I woke up in the morning and I was like, I I can't give up. This is too far in. I just can't quit after one try. Right. Um, so I called up the bottle supplier and I said, those bottles, any chance those are for sale yet? And they're like, well, actually it's funny. You should call. Yeah. Yeah. We we've just had a meeting about that. They're for sale. So I said, okay. And so set about designing a beer that would suit that, that stubby bottle and came up with, um, It's just funny, we we named it after uh, an old brewery that was in the interior of BC called Phoenix. It was a town called Phoenix and they had um, the biggest gold mine in, or copper mine, sorry, in the British Commonwealth. And then they had a strike and they closed it. And then during the Second World War, they needed copper again, so they started as an open pit mine and just wiped out the town. Wow! And uh, I thought oh, that's kind of a cool story, and you know, <laughs> no trademark issues with that. Uh, they're gone. <laughs> um, so uh, called this beer Phoenix, made a, a gold logger, built some tanks that worked for loggers, and uh, and kind of doubled down on it, and it really hit, and it started wow. to take off, and started to be able to hire people, and all of a sudden it had this momentum. So. But of course, this was totally contrary to the original business plan. So right. that's, that was kind of when the departure happened. Okay. This is where we're going. This is when That was the first label that was graphically a little more interesting. That was the first foray into that okay. world. And it worked pretty well. Interestingly, it turned out that there was another Phoenix brewery and it 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 was actually in Victoria and it was actually kitty corner to our current location. So anytime we (laughs) open the ground and dig a hole to put a new tank in or something, we always come across this Phoenix bottle that's uh, buried in the ground there. So uh, research, research (laughs) is a key thing.
0: (laughs) But from there you took off. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's uh, there was lots of ups points. and downs yeah. and
1: brands that hit and didn't, but um, but that was kind of I think a real
0: inflection point for the business. Okay, yeah. and, and and am I right in saying you're the one of the largest craft brewers in the country now? Yeah,
1: you know, numbers aren't really published, so we're but we're definitely on the larger side of things. Yeah,
0: yeah, fantastic, congratulations. Yeah. When you think about that growth and uh, you know a lot of perseverance pushing through. Uh, Is there anything that comes to you in terms of that you'd want to share the lessons learned that just kind of you look back and you go, wow, you know, that that was key. You talked about one moment, but any other lessons that just, wow, I (laughs) wish I would have known that 10 years earlier. There's so many moments that you kind of go, oh, man, I
1: I, I wish I could have learned that the easier way. You know, I think when I look back understanding the value of culture earlier would have would have been a really wonderful asset Mm -hmm. and um, you know for me it was something that I didn't really understand until it was shaky and it's so much more difficult to uh, to rebuild uh, than it is to maintain of course and so you know really understanding what it is about your culture that's special Mm -hmm. and what drives it uh, would have been something that you know I, I would just recommend everybody kind of Spend some time thinking about okay. um, how to Absolutely. communicate within your organization so that
0: you maintain it. Pretty yeah. basic stuff, but I didn't know it. <laughs> well, you wouldn't know it today. I mean, yeah. you've got a fun workplace. Uh, you know, you say you, you hired the coolest guy. I'm not sure it's not you, though, Matt. Uh, you know, I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know you over the years. And thanks so much for uh, meeting with us today. Pleasure. Thanks. Cheers. Well, thanks again, Matt. You know, what a a lot of fun uh, he is and to get the chance to talk with him about uh, his startup and and some of the things that he went through as he got his business uh, to where it is today. I just wanted to cover a couple of points around opportunity. You know, we talk a lot about being in the flow, and I think Matt is a great example of that. He was in the industry. He'd worked for a number of different players. He was watching what was happening, and he saw his opportunity in a couple of ways. One, there was spare equipment still out there that he could pick up for cheap to get his ideas off the ground and two he saw a need around the product that the product that was out there was really quite generic he thought he could make a much better product as we move forward the thing that's really interesting to me and that I hope that you picked up on is that that product and his company itself really evolved over time to meet the customers more where they were and where they were going so he had a great idea but it was changed a number of times to really get where he is today. And that's typical of all ideas. So, one of the things about being in the flow that I wanted to point out is that lots of people are there. We all, you know, many of us go to work every day, it, but it's those that are searching and looking and open to ideas that frankly, spot opportunity. So how open to you are new new ideas? Are you searching for those new ideas and searching for those opportunities as they come along? Sometimes it's inspiration, but it's just as much perspiration of, oh, I see, that's different. How might I work that and change that into something that really could be interesting in terms of a business opportunity? Something else I hope you picked up uh, through this particular podcast is just perseverance and resilience. You know, there's a lot of up and downs as you get a business up and going and it's, and it's staying open to those new opportunities and the stub bottles with Matt, but it's that real persistence to stay with it, to, to keep going that made a difference for Matt in this case. Lastly, Matt talked a little bit about growth and how important culture was as he got up and going. And we're going to use that as a bit of a jumping off point. In the next podcast, I'll be talking to Don Bell, who talks an awful lot about culture. Thanks. You've been listening to the Ivy Entrepreneur Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit ivy.ca forward slash entrepreneurship. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.